Howdy, and welcome to the Quispy Podcast. This is the uh, submission that we're doing for our final. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about African Americans for the 18th century and the 19th century, and then we'll talk about uh, women in the 20th century, all doing group three. Uh, yeah, so... Sounds pretty fun. Let's introduce ourselves. My name is Jake. I'm one of your hosts. And I'm Bronson Pierce. Last name. What? They gotta know who I am. Alright, fine. This is our teacher. Alright, starting off, let's do 18th century African Americans. Um, basically, I think learning from the whole middle school pers- uh, perspective going into slave trade we learned in middle schools about triangular trade, but I don't think a lot of teachers went into depth much about how it wasn't just white guys going into Africa and stealing these slaves. Do you want to dive into that a little bit with me? Yeah, it, it, it's really interesting how it's not, it wasn't just Af- white people going into Africa and taking these Africans. A lot of the uh, more dominant tribes in Africa actually went and would enslave other tribes that they had defeated, take those slaves and sell them to the white folk for uh, money or whatever they bought them for. The, the Africans, the dominant Africans were just as culpable in that slave trade as anyone else. Why don't, why don't you think we were taught about this, though, when learning about triangular trade? Do you think they just didn't have enough time to introduce it? Because all we really learn is just, like, there's the triangle, and then it just goes here to here, here to here, and here to here. Why didn't they go de- into debt that these this stuff was happening? I think it was good to just get the idea across that it was the triangle trade. You know, that it, I guess it was different four different points, but... It was just good to get the idea across that there was this trade um, between a bunch of different areas. You're so itchy. I am so itchy. (laughs) Going, just getting the idea across that all of these countries were working together um, and really globally trading. Um, You distracted me. Can't do that. Um. They didn't really go into depth because, I mean, you didn't learn a whole lot about any of the other places where they, any of the other stops. You know, this is what college is for. You just get a a deeper understanding. That's what it's for. So Mm. I don't, I don't think we learned about that because there wasn't enough time. Okay. College, college is that extra time you need to learn in depth about subjects. At least that's what I think. What do you think? I feel like there just wasn't enough time. I I don't remember much about learning about the triangular trade, but I know it was not enough time to introduce that idea. But I feel like these secret ideas and conspiracies that happen is just, it could be hidden from a lot of people. Maybe they didn't want to teach it because, you know, you're still a kid. You're in, what, 7th, 8th grade learning about these harsh topics, going into slavery, learning about how effed up our past is. But I don't think they would just want to go ruin history for these kids because, I mean, 
I don't want to take a test about learning that stuff at such a young age. Yeah, that's a, a very interesting thing that I've learned about going through college and especially these history classes. I took a U.S. history class my first semester. It was 2,700. So it was a, a more in-depth look of U.S. history from its birth from its not birth but its uh discovery Mm -hmm. up to the civil war so we didn't we didn't go over a lot of the uh things we went over in this class 1700 but we were really in depth about uh everything before that and i used to really really enjoy learning about history was just really fascinating and it didn't make me feel like a horrible person (laughs) for being white and now i am almost after two semesters of learning about u.s history i almost am ashamed to be white yeah i i i i I think a lot about well there's always these fairy tales and fantasies of good versus bad good always triumphs evil it's always uh gotta be this heroic story um and learning about it white people are the bad they are the evil that triumphed we we went in we did evil things we took over the world in so many places and just made it ours we we did not leave any room for anyone else and i mean it makes our society today the good and the bad everything but that's that was an instance where evil triumphed for sure and i can go off of that because well sophomore year i took us i think i took us civ or something we learned from basically like the bc times up until we stopped at world war one learning that much information in an entire like year of high school we briefed over so many things so we didn't go much into debt about these certain topics. But I think these college classes are they're more built for adults, which it, yeah. it shows because this class showed us very in detailing these early these early signs of like, oh my gosh, look at how amazing white people are. And even going back before the 18th century with the whole Christopher Columbus learning about him for like the, oh, yeah. the first week of that class, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. That was horrifying to look at these comics that people made about it, these yeah. these stories, and like the names he would call. Do you remember any of the names? Like he, he didn't even view them as people. No. They were just like beautiful objects to him. They and were... it's like... How? <laughs> yeah, the the same way that we look at like a really pretty cat, really good looking cat. We're just like, wow, that is so cool. They can't think like I do. <laughs> that's that's a lot. That's how a lot of people uh, view other people. You know, even even still. And does that have... just does that make a speciesist? I don't know. <laughs> if you're buying a cool Peter pet... Singer. If you make it if you're buying a pet because it looks cool, does that make you? I don't know. You're. Uh, I think we're straying a bit off topic here. Yeah. Um, going into another class of ours. Um, 
yeah it the way the way humans treat each other is is fascinating it's it's hard it's very hard to listen to read about to learn about and to maintain your fascination for it at least for me but it's it's still very interesting I think let's move on to the 19th century. We're doing African-Americans again. Alrighty, African-Americans in the 19th century. The big Civil War happened. I'm excited. hate the Civil War. It was a bad time. But it was good. Necessary. One of the few wars I would look in the past and think that had to happen. Yeah. Um, do you want to go kind of like dive into... Was your... Your narrative was it post Civil War or was it pre Civil War? Because it was, it was at, both. It was both. Okay, you want to so, go into that? I can't remember the name of my uh, slave narrative. However, I'll look it up while you stall time. Okay, I got to sneeze. <laughs> the uh, slave narrative that I had was an interview being done with a former slave in uh, the late late 1800s early 1900s and her her his his yeah james southall his experience with slavery so he had a great time with slavery apparently he was born into it um and born into a, a family where the slave owner was uh just a a good guy you know Mm -hmm. offered offered freedom when uh he could you know as soon as the freedom was available for those slaves he would offer it Mm -hmm. and even after those slaves bought their freedom they wanted to stay with him because the slave owner didn't rape or beat them you know that's a big one but he was very conscientious of their health. He was a doctor, so he'd take care of them when they were sick. He fed them, gave them a place to live. Um, you know, they ate with him at the dinner table. They didn't have to wait for him to finish his food. They were just a part of the family. It was, it was very interesting to learn that these people didn't want to leave his plantation. Mm-hmm. Come Civil War time, and after the Civil War, he was he was worried that white people from the North were going to come and tell him these people can't live with him anymore because they'd become family to him. These slaves wanted to stay there. Granted, these slaves only felt... Uh, pull toward this slave owner because he had kind of shown them like this is the best life you'll have where that's just not true so i'm gonna cut you in here i'm reading this right now so was he did he name himself after james southall because john southall is the owner of the plantation did he take on southall's last name yeah okay yeah um and this is pretty fascinating to read about. How do you think his perspective growing up... I mean, I'm sure it is terrifying to wake up in this world as a slave. You know, your parents are both slaves. you got to start working immediately. How do you think his perspective 
you know, living this sort of, you know, dream life, you know, he's still got to work, but you got free housing, you could you get fed, you, you work, you, it's a good life. How do you think this perspective could lead to one of like the harsh, harsh realities of the other plantations? Like if you're another slave being born into slavery, but on a more strict, you got a, like a worse owner. How do you think that can differ from each other? Uh, well, it differs vastly, man. <laughs> this James Southall um, is one of very, very few narratives that detail an experience with slavery like this. I mean, most slaves didn't make it out of slavery alive because they were beaten so harshly and uh, treated so terribly. This is 0.01% of experiences. We have to remember that slavery needed to go away for a reason. It's just interesting um, to learn about James Southall because he is so vastly different than what we were taught in middle school. Right. Taught in middle school, slavery was all bad. Nothing good about it. No one, well, the white people benefited from it and none of the black people, none of the slaves benefited from it. When, uh, you know, it, when you're taught that for so long, it's so hard to come to the realization that some might have had a good time with it. I think my concern is if slave, when slavery finally, it's over, and then he gets put in the real world and these other go people are in the real world, world do you think you know, he might have the perspective like, hey, I think I can have a trusting perspective on other white people since, you know, my owner was white, he was really oh. nice to us. You think he's going to be like, oh, these people must also be nice, but that view of discrimination is still in the air and people are going to, that backlash is going to hit him. That's my, kind of my only concern because I wonder if, since he's not prepared for all of that, like, racial discrimination, how that could affect him rather than other slaves you know finally getting set free from these strict plantations they already have a natural view that you know everybody hates them because of the color of their skin yeah that was definitely a big thing he talks about it a little bit later in the narrative um where he describes how he tried to live on his own him and his family tried to live on their own after the civil war and they just couldn't do it again that prejudice against them the racism they couldn't get jobs they couldn't find homes uh, so they ended up just living with that guy you know rather than just being their slave then they lived with him just on the account that you know they worked they earned their spot in the house and the uh, doctor let them stay so how does this differ from your earlier view that all you were saying that white people, I mean, they're evil, but this is a different perspective towards yours because, you know, this guy, I'm sure he, he owned slaves, but he was still really loving and caring to his slaves. People, files like this don't get, you know, accounted for. But then we learn about people like George Washington, and yeah, he had slaves too. He... He probably didn't treat him as well as this guy, but we never heard of James or John Southall. Yeah. I don't know why Why wouldn't they teach this kind of thing in middle school? Like, why wouldn't they give a good insight on slavery, not just teach the bad? Because uh, think about in middle school what sources of history and what sources of propaganda you get. Mm. 
you know, if you're not being taught uh, at least some of the harsher stuff in middle school, then everywhere else is going to tell you otherwise. You look at, like, commercials, and you look at propaganda pieces toward other country. I mean, even internet culture, all the, the memes and jokes that are spread around, they the give you this idea. Right <laughs> they give you the idea, like, I'm white, so I should be better than them. You know, that's that's the subconscious idea that you get. You know, a, a classroom, an educated classroom, is the only place where you're going to get, like, hey, you know, you're not any different. You guys are the same. Unless, of course, you have parents that are really open-minded wow. and parents that are really good. But, yeah, I think they have to at least teach you, like, uh, this was bad. We can't let this happen again in middle school. Because if you're not taught as a young, young person that some things are bad, if you're not taught the difference between bad and good at a very young age, uh, bigotry and racism, all those crappy qualities, I'm sure, are soon to follow. Mm -hmm. Definitely for the majority of people. Very few people would be open-minded enough to see otherwise. Yeah. But I kind of want to skim over my um, file for that midterm. You had yeah. that. Uh, you had that guy's basically diary. I had the Mississippi Declaration of Causes and Secession. I I wonder. I'm just trying to kind of think. I wonder what could have possibly happened if we didn't have if we didn't incorporate slaves into like the foundation of the United States early on. Maybe. I, th I just think that if we didn't have those slaves, um, maybe it would have been like the just poor white people beaten into slavery. If you were that poor, you couldn't afford houses, then you start being slaves. But uh, my article basically revolves around the idea that Mississippi never really referred the black race as people. They tried in their document to explain that if we get rid of slavery then there goes our entire social system we're wasting money because we can't let these guys work for us they don't it it baffles me that you can't have this conversation to realize that other people are human beings like what is it just the way that we're taught so much different from the way like how strict do you have to be to teach your kids that these people are horrible they're not human beings they are objects that we can use i don't know it's just i don't think you have to be very strict with that at all i think that as long as you uh continue to press that idea in their head you know kids are going to listen to their parents and then if that's what they hear that's what they're going to think the whole generation is so messed up, though, keeping that ideas planted in their kids' heads for future generations to come, which is still a thing. People are still, I mean, uh, you know, like public discrimination, of course, it's outlawed. You can't just call someone an N-word. You can't right. um, 
do all that stuff, but people are still in their head probably have these mindsets that they don't like this certain kind of people because it's probably been pushed in their heads from earlier generations that you shouldn't like this person because of what they are. Yep. And plenty of those in Utah. I think this is a good example <laughs> of that because they don't even Mississippi doesn't even like address that the black race are human beings. They're just objects we can use. Yep. So. Tools. Tools. tools to increase the econo- economic worth of uh, America. And it, it, it's interesting, you brought up at the very beginning, like, what if uh, black slavery wasn't brought up? You know, would would there have been another form of slavery? There could have been. Very, I, I would say without a doubt. I'd say that slavery will always be in our human nature in in our uh thoughts Mm -hmm. not slavery exactly but just ways to exploit other people for our own gain someone's got to do the hard work someone yeah someone's got to do it and if you can make them do it without any cost to you well that's the best way to do it um you know you you look at again let's take africa for example Mm -hmm. you know they just enslaved each other they didn't care about the color of skin. You know, that didn't have anything to do with each other. It was just simply, are you lesser than me? I beat you in battle. You're now my slave. Right. You know, so slavery will always be around. Exploitation will always be around, and it always has been. Well, that's great. Yeah. I think let's move into the last century. Let's do 20th century. We're doing women. You want to leap? Women. All right. <laughs> Um, this one, I feel like I learned the most from this semester. I, I, it's not that I didn't know what women did at that, during this time, but I did not know just how important what they did was to our society. How impactful women are to actually Yeah, how, how they... How they were able to make that paradigm shift from cooking in the kitchen all day and pumping out a baby every now and then, not able to do what they want to all of a sudden having so much agency, mm-hmm. so much, not freedom, but so much push to go out and get a job and building each other up, making each other feel good. I think it's just crazy how women finally getting the right to vote in the 20th century. Like, it took that long. How long do you think voting has been around for? Oh, forever. Forever. We've been voting. It's just like the men Mm -hmm. and even before that early century voting in the united states was just you had to be the guidelines were so strict you had to be white you had to be male anything else if you were slightly off you were a no-go you couldn't vote it was just this certain part of the population could vote and it didn't until 1920 when the ratification of the 19th amendment of the u.s constitution allowing women to finally vote yeah, it's insane. That was a hundred years ago. Yeah. Only. I mean, um, not quite. That was in August 
almost a hundred years ago. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> That's just, it's insane. Um, it's only been around for less than a hundred years. Right. I and did not. I did not know that uh, women's suffrage didn't come around until nineteen twenty. Until this class, I thought it was sooner than that. I um, hadn't even thought about it. It's just nuts. And then, not only women's parts in World War One and World War Two, but I think we can also kind of dive into the Civil Rights Act. Mm-hmm. Women were a lot of were a big part of actually getting civil rights. Right. That's why. That's why it's called the Civil Rights Act and not the Black Rights Act. Right. You know, it was it was for all people. Who have been discriminated against. I, I really enjoyed this section. In one of my previous classes, we talked about uh, sports and uh, the difference between male and females in sports, how they differ, and how they've been treated in the past. And we kind of had these philosophical debates of whether we should divide male and female sports and, you know, if competition is equal between them physically. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that was insane to me, this was in like the 1990s. So within our parents' generation, there was a, a woman who went and did the Boston Marathon where it had almost always been men right in the boston marathon a woman participated in it and literally like toward the end of the race she had men trying to carry her because they were worried she would break her leg wow because they just didn't think women were strong enough to run the marathon only men could do it this was in the 1990s 1990s dude i'm not kidding wow insane we'd had like so many amazing uh female athletes female what's the word i'm trying to think of here like influencers amazing yeah, yeah women that were powerful powerful women that could get crap done mm -hmm. and we still publicly showed our deliberate sexism mm. in there so the 20th century was huge for women you know i i, I don't think uh, women grew more in a century than in the 20th century mm. there were so many things that went right for them you still got you got birth control coming yep. into effect we got the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision that actually the Constitution protects a woman's right, legal right to an abortion. We're finally getting that happening. Hopefully uh, that doesn't go away soon because oh. it's getting threatened. <laughs> yeah, and that's a whole different discussion that I don't have time for, but... We don't? We can do it for another episode. For <laughs> yeah, itself. all right, all right. But I think, especially, oh my God, learning about eugenics in oh, this yeah. class um especially leading to women i thought it was fun to learn that like with the whole sexism in the air women were considered like feeble-minded and like these lower class people would make up the idea that women who loved having sex were feeble-minded yeah that is oh my god <laughs> oh my yeah 
all of these horny old goats from the history books, they're always these big chads that were so strong-minded. But if a woman has sex, then she's feeble-minded. Yeah, it's it's very blatant. And I need to load up this uh, Supreme Court case. Why weren't you prepared? Because <laughs> I thought I could remember the name, but in my essay, um, I refer... We, one of the podcasts that I got to listen to was, oh, it was so fun with eugenics. Um, this woman, the Buck v. Bell case. This woman, oh, yeah. her mother, when Buck was two years old, was sent to an institution because she was considered feeble-minded. So she was adopted into this foster family who worked her every single day and night. And to the point where she was eventually raped by their nephew and she eventually you know gave birth but after she had her kid her foster family tried to um institutionalize her and she brought up this case went to the um the supreme court because she tried to deny these accusations she didn't she just did not want to be institutionalized yeah because they just said hey you're feeble-minded this is the kind of this is the repercussions repercussions that you know come from earlier you know 1600s you know people just accusing people left and right the salem witch trials if you said someone was this thing people are just going to believe you yeah like you don't even have to have evidence to say hey this person is feeble-minded let's throw them into an institution and um the sad thing about the supreme court case that was addressed in the podcast is that she lost this was an overwhelming loss in the supreme court case i think the vote was i think eight to one eight to one eight to one yeah yeah eight to one it was horrible and that court decision led virginia enforce uh they enforced people who were unfit to reproduce and it led to over 70,000 cases of people getting institutionalized because they were people could just be poor they could be seemed unfit they could just be called you know feeble-minded right well and and feeble-minded meant so many different things back then it was not just like take this test if you get score below a certain score then you're considered feeble-minded it was like a culmination of your lifestyle and pretty much all of it was just to promote rich white people Mm -hmm. you know if you had a low income you were feeble-minded if you were an addict you were feeble-minded if you were black you were feeble-minded like there were things that people had no control over that would make them feeble-minded what family you grew up into like we this uh, Buck v. Bell case. Mm-hmm. You know, she was just born into a family that was like, well, you're feeble-minded. Well, I mean, later she was taken out of that institution and, you know, she got married. She'd never had other kids, but she seemed to have the rest of her life on track. But I'm noticing a pattern from early slaves to this period now where it's just, there's. it seems like there's two levels there's the high class, you know, slave owners, this high society, and then the low class. 
the low class in this first like little century where it's just they're all slaves they don't have power they work hard and get treated like garbage this looks like it's the same thing it's the people who are either poor they don't feel like they're not smart they're not you know they they're not capable of anything these are the kind of people who are getting institutionalized because this society wants to be perfect and that's probably never going to be achievable because there's always these different levels of classes that you're going to be put in when you're born or later in life you're going to be either high class you could go middle class or you could just you know be in the low class and some of those factors you can't get yourself up and down that easily but it's just kind of how it works yeah and, and we're we're taught from a very young age that america is a meritocracy you know the idea that the harder you work the better off you'll be and you've got to play by the rules to be uh successful and you know there there's so many other things that go into it it is not just based off your hard work and that's that's coming from someone who truly believes that uh, with enough hard work you will accomplish what you desire. You know you can you can do anything, but it is not just a matter of what what you do. There's a whole slew of other things that go into it. Right. You have to understand limitations. There is. There are such things as limitations in our society. And it's, I mean, it's not saying that working hard isn't bad. It's It pays no. off really well. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't work hard because you know that you're not going to be successful. But you can't, you, like you said, you have to learn these limitations earlier in life that, hey, you might not even, you can't make a million dollars in a year from working like a low class job. No matter how hard you think you can work, it's probably not going to be achievable. And I think that's great. I think that, you know, kids should be learning about this younger in life. You've got to know where you fit into these classes. And I wonder if that's even just going to lead into people who don't like, you know, these set parts in society where like, hey, you're this or hey, you're that. So they try to think they're obsolete. Yeah. But that's a whole conversation. Yeah, I think I think it's it's hard to imagine a society without classes like that. Because uh, competition will naturally sort of set a standard for people who are, quote, winning and people who are, quote, losing uh-huh. at life. Um, but that does not mean you're stuck in that class. Right. You know, you can be successful and you can you can beat life at its own game no matter who you are. Uh, but... The way you do that is is different for every single person, and it, it sucks that they're the way that some people have to get out of those crappier classes. The things that they have to do sometimes, you know, lower their their dignity and their idea of what they want to do. They have to sacrifice things that they shouldn't have to sacrifice to be successful. Yep. Sucks that that's out there. That's why uh, the rich give birth to babies that will continue to be rich is because they have the easiest path to success. Mm-hmm. You know, 
whether they follow it or not is ultimately their choice but it, it is definitely easier for rich people to be rich i think overall i'm pretty happy that i took this class i mean not just focusing on these three centuries that our final is on i'm glad that learning these different perspectives on actually how our history is built up gives me a different insight on my beliefs i think that um you know you're probably not gonna be able to change the school system but i'm glad when kids actually can take classes like this later in life they'll come to realize that you know uh grade school is kind of just giving you a broad sense of us where we came from and where do we go from here Mm -hmm. i think that's kind of the main idea but high school is a little more like all right we're going to introduce you guys uh very vaguely to like what some some of the more nitty-gritty parts of history you know learning about how just just the the crappier parts of history and then college college really is where you're gonna learn i think what will teach you about mm -hmm. history that the important stuff i loved taking this class um i didn't necessarily learn more about white people because my parents have always kind of kept me open to how people were in the past and telling me about things the uh history books won't tell you because my dad uh, was an english major and a history minor in college mm. so he knows a lot about history he reads biography after biography so he's he's got a really good understanding of what humans are like so i've always had a really good understanding of the evils we're capable of right but it's always so good to just learn in depth about what we have done. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. Always, always love it. No matter how ashamed I am. <laughs> it's okay to be white. <laughs> it's okay. And <laughs> pray the white away. I just don't think that, I mean, of course you can't help the fact that you're white, but no. it, I don't think you should put yourself down for what your ancestors did because only you can change that right you can't change what they did but you can change how people view you either in a good or a bad way and i think this hopefully newer generations will understand our history and what we can do to prevent stuff like this is going to happen again yeah like the great mark twain or whatever his actual name was said History never repeats itself, but it often rhymes. So hopefully we can do what we can to spread the word to everyone to keep it from rhyming. Have it rhyme in the right places and have it say the complete opposite in the wrong areas. Beautifully said. I think that's going to wrap it up for this podcast. We're yeah, going on to 40, 40 minutes. minutes. Jeez. Sorry. Cindy, <laughs> Solomon, I did not want you to listen to all of that. We were thinking it would be like 10 minutes shorter, but it's passion. We were passionate about this project. It's beautiful. Maybe that's why we procrastinated so much. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> all right. That's going to wrap it up. For any of the other zero viewers that are going to watch our podcast, we're going to try to get some going 
I don't know. Have some guest speakers. Maybe we'll have Trump on here. It'd be yeah. awesome. <laughs> Maybe one day. One day. All right. Thank you very much. Will you grab the window? I can't. It's stuck. <laughs> it's there. We go. There we go. Alrighty. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Quispy Podcast. A Quispy Podcast. We out of here.